0: in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean.
1: And thank you again, Rachel. And thank you to everyone who's listening in for us this day, uh, whether you're listening on the day in which this podcast drops or whether you're someone who is going back and getting caught up on podcasts or just tuning in for the very first time, whether you're driving in your car to work, or you're uh, working out at the gym, or taking your dog for a walk, or just sitting with a cup of coffee in that favorite space of yours, uh, we're just glad that you've joined us uh, for In All Things, our podcast in the EPC. This is a special edition of In All Things. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when this is going to drop, but we're recording this during the EPC's General Assembly, at Ward Church in Northville, Michigan. The fun thing is, is at this EPC there's a lot of uh, friends and great people with great stories, and we're obviously not going to be able to to pull aside and, and record all of them. Um, but we're blessed today to have two of my very dear friends, Jim and Sherry Hobby, who came a little bit early to set up their their table to promote uh, the new thing that God is calling them to do, and so that gave us the opportunity before everything happened to sit down at the table together and. Uh, get connected again and share what the Lord is doing. So grateful to have Jim and Sherry here and grateful to have you join us. Uh, for the conversation. Today's podcast is brought to you by Ward EPC Church. Um, Ward, if you didn't know it, is actually the mother church of the EPC. It's where it all started back in the early 1980s. Senior pastor Scott McKee is one of my favorite and best communicators that I know of. If I could sit under someone and listen to their teaching week after week, I would gladly choose Scott. He and his team do an amazing job of reaching out to not only North Northville and Livonia, but all of metro urban Detroit. They're exceedingly engaged in the city. They're engaged in local outreach. They're engaged in church planting, and they're one of our denomination's leaders in terms of world outreach. Um, this is a church that is a comprehensive, global, local, disciple-making, evangelical Presbyterian Church. And if you are ever in the Detroit area, it is worth your time to stop by and visit for worship at Ward EPC Church. Whether it's Scott McKee or Terrence Gray or any of the other talented staff, you'll be blessed if you stop and visit our friends at Ward EPC Church. And I can't think of a better place to have our General Assembly than here. So, uh, like I said, uh, at General Assembly, lots of fun people coming through the doors and lots of great activity and conversations in the hallways and in the rooms and in the meetings. But some of those conversations around some comfy chairs on the hallway leading from the main entrance and registration down toward the sanctuary is going to be had by Jim and Sherry Hobby. Jim and Sherry are both ordained in the Anglican Church of North America. They're both priests, Sherry has served in multiple capacities in numerous parishes, both as a rector and as in transitional roles and helping and supporting a lot of churches in transition. Uh, Jim has been and is a bishop uh, in the ACNA, and that's how Beth and I got to know Jim and Sherry. They were uh, serving in Pittsburgh at the time where I was serving in Pittsburgh at the time, and um, when it came time for Beth and I to consider whether the Lord was calling me to be the stated clerk of the EPC, a friendship with Jim and Sherry who understood something of what that was like. We were able to confide in them and have a safe space. And what we found in Jim and Sherry was a husband and wife, two pastors who got us who saw us, who heard us, who listened to us well, and who were able to give us good biblical counseling in terms of how to proceed to discern the Lord's will. And uh, that is why um, I asked them to come and speak to our pastor and spouse retreats that we had this last year, two of them, one in the fall and one in the winter. And that has also led Jim and Sherry down a pathway to um, opening their heart for caring for pastors in a way that will be the... um, Well, that's where we want to go in terms of this conversation today. So we want to go back and get to know this couple and let you get to know my dear friends. And then we're going to talk about how the Lord has been using this. So Jim and Sherry, welcome to In All Things.
2: Thank you. It's great to be here.
1: Well, it's a delight to have you guys here, and i um, grateful that you could come uh, from Thomasville, Georgia, all the way up to uh, Michigan and join us for the General Assembly. And uh, Jim and I have this back-and-forth joke where um, he would say that people often say to you, what...
2: That if they weren't whatever they are, Presbyterians or Baptists or Roman Catholic, that they would be Anglicans.
1: And my joke back to Jim is if, if he wasn't an Anglican, I, he would be EPC. For sure. So, <laughs> so um, we're just delighted to have you guys here. Give us a little bit of background. The two of you met. I've, do I remember right? Did you meet at Wheaton College? Um, we did. We actually met at uh, the Wedding of
2: one of Sherry's older sisters. I knew two of her older sisters before I knew her. Oh,
1: and you were Um, a wedding crasher. And I was a wedding crasher, yeah. Right.
2: So um, that's where we actually met. We started dating a couple years later after Sherry turned me down. Um, I asked her out her freshman year, but she wasn't interested in dating any of her sister's friends. Okay. So it took me a couple years of chasing around campus to... um, (laughs) Wear her down. Wear her down. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, that's great. And you guys have been married how many years now and kids and grandkids and where do you live and all that kind of stuff?
3: We live in Thomasville, Georgia, and we have our, our 11th grandchild is on the way. Oh my goodness. And so we're enjoying being back in the area where all of our children and grandchildren live. We have three daughters all married. It's just a delight to be back where I don't have to take a airplane ride to go see them
1: yeah Um, and you guys when you're in thomasville more often than not you're worshiping at an epc church in that's right that's that's right yeah we've
2: been at first presbyterian church for i don't know six months now yeah beth and
3: tim Philston have been very warmly receptive of our being in that congregation and we appreciate that
1: There's so much really in common, and maybe this is the conversation of another podcast for another day, but there is so much in common between the ACNA and the EPC. I think we have similar cultures. I think we have similar ethoses. You know, I think most of us, uh, I will tell you probably the most formative person that shaped a lot of my early theology was a J.I. Packer, you know, so whether it's a John Stott or a J.I. Packer, there's a lot of us uh, in the Presbyterian circles who have leaned into the Anglican (laughs) spaces and valued deeply. Um, whether it's an N.T. Wright or whether there's just so many uh, litany of of people who have contributed to the church theologically and pastorally that um, we're probably a lot more in common than we have that separates us. Yeah, some people
2: have even heard of C.S. Lewis as an Anglican who... Uh, I know of a Clive. Is is that that the same person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's okay. He's okay.
1: We'll take that. So because of our friendship and because of our relationship and and knowing the pastoral heart that the two of you bring, I extended the opportunity for the two of you to come to our pastor and spouse retreats, one that we had last fall in Western Pennsylvania and one that we had last winter in Florida. We had about 100 pastors and spouses come to those two collective retreats, all paid for by our Medical Benevolence Fund. But you guys brought the teaching, and it was a rich, rich time of teaching but you centered all of it on psalm 13 and i wondered if you could tell us why you went to psalm 13 and could you give us a quick summary overview for those who weren't able to go to the retreat of what you know why you went there and what we we took from that time together by really going down deep over a period of about four days into that text
2: we had done a a retreat for missionaries um, and spouses uh, a couple years before, we'd used Psalm 13. Um, we, we were sort of led there, and, and we kind of brought it back up for the pastors. But at the heart of it is, is recognizing that if you're in ministry, um, you're, you're going to be wounded. You're going to trip over things. You're going to wound yourself. I mean, you're going to you know, make bad choices, whatever. Um, and there, there'll become a point where you're crying out to the Lord and everybody's going to have their how long, O Lord, moment. And what we saw in Psalm 13 was just an easy way of helping people walk through the whole process of lament Uh, because our observation is that lament is a process that's supposed to end in hope, not get solidified in the the how long part. Um, And so we really wanted to walk people through this process of how long, O Lord, identifying our pain, asking God for what it is that we most want, which is the second part of Psalm 13. Um, and then the very part, last part of it is embracing hope, is recognizing that God has been faithful in the past. He's made promises for the future. And so between the past and the future, even in the midst of how long, we can recognize God's faithfulness and sovereignty and, um, and just stand there um, in, the, in that tension and believe that there's something in the future um, that's hopeful because God is a God of hope. Yeah.
1: So this feels like we're coming full circle for me, because at this General Assembly, the national leadership team is recommending a pastoral letter of racial lament and hope. And that, that idea, that, that title and idea, actually comes from our moderator, uh, Brad Strait, from the Cherry Creek Presbyterian Church, who attended the Florida retreat. He was so taken by that movement through Psalm 13 in these profoundly biblical categories of lament that ends in hope that he thought that was a good framework to approach this discussion of of race in the church as a pastoral letter. So what you started in that retreat to help pastors deal with their own woundedness and brokenness and bring them to a place of, of healing um, has actually now filtered into the larger denomination and our national leadership team has brought those ideas forward as a idea of how we could approach this particular challenging topic it's really all your fault <laughs> <laughs> we'll claim it okay yeah.
2: i think the, the other part i want to give this to sherry the other part that was really important to us is us weaving our stories into the lament and so we were, we told two different stories of our own lament um, and part of the magic that we saw in the retreats were people around tables kind of taking time to tell their stories of lament mm. um, and that really comes from you share you want to
3: There's just something that the Lord does in His graciousness. I've seen this over and over through the years of when we are brave enough or whatever the word or the experience is to actually share the real life of what what life is like in appropriate ways, that the Lord uses that and He blesses it and um, gives it to others as well who hear the story. We were both at these retreats still working through some lament of our own, we didn't choose to tell those stories to make sure that we were having proper boundaries and not gushing all over people in ways, but stories, we told stories of our own pain from the past where the Lord had been present to us, and, um, and what a gift it is and what a reassurance from the Lord to, to be right there with
1: us. And I think that gave permission to the people who were there yes. to think about their own stories and to go into that place of lament. And because coming out of the global pandemic, there was a lot of brokenness, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, power of everyone kind of hearing your stories, being able to use these biblical categories to address their own stories, put them on the pathway toward help and health and, and healing, mm-hmm. um, which we saw right before our very eyes. It
3: was it was beautiful to see the spirit moving through people as they would, just took, took that piece of bravery and risk, in a sense, to actually be open and honest with other people. And we had the opportunity to talk to many of the couples before in in both of those retreats and just hearing their stories and um, just was incredibly meaningful for us.
1: Something about lament opens the door to that, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's, I hope, what comes from this discussion is that our our brothers and sisters of color who have experienced a lot of pain and a lot Mm -hmm. of brokenness that before anybody steps in and tries to understand or tries to remedy or tries to make suggestions, just this idea of I want to hear your story, Mm -hmm. I want to enter into that brokenness with you and sit at that space with you, there is a power in that, both for the person who is sharing their story and for the person who is sitting and listening and then realizing we have our own stories to tell that come out of that.
2: I think we're obviously we're coming a little bit late to the party. Um, the African American church has known how to lament, you know, for centuries. And and part of part of what they, the African American church, discovered, I think, was that if you get if you get stuck in the how long part, you you end up hardening your heart. That you end up in in blame and anger and recrimination or shame or whatever. But what, what I see in their lament is this hopefulness um, that that instead of hardening hearts, kind of gives their souls resilience. You know, and so so the the, the kind of black church's lament uh, for centuries, you know, has sort of opened up this space of resilience to kind of you know, experience after experience after experience of being, you know, oppressed or put down instead of hardening sort of gave resilience to say we believe even more strongly in the hope and and so so we're we're discovering something that has a
1: long legacy well and the legacy goes back much further than that right you had an oppressed people in the in the jewish people who under babylonian oh. captivity go through this expression of lament and in fact we have an entire book of the bible just titled that right. and sometimes i've heard people say to me you know don't confuse david's laments in the psalms which are personal with this idea of corporate lament and i always say well what about the book of lamentations because that's actually a corporate lament and and there is a group of people who are crying out to, but they're in the center of the book i think it's chapter three you have this statement of, of incredible hope right which anchors the book. So it, 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 it's vulnerably cries out to God with the how long, but that hope is kind of what gives them the ability to carry on in spite of the fact that circumstances are just simply overwhelming. Right. For them. Yeah.
2: And even the how long part is, is hopeful because it's a conversation that, mm. you know, that if, if I'm, if I'm separated from somebody, I don't say anything to them. I walk away but if, you know, if I can come, if Sharon and I are having a fight or whatever, and we can actually express our anger to each other, that's a more intimate relationship, you know, than just going silent, you know, and leaving the room or whatever. And so I think even the argument, even the, the kind of how long, oh Lord, um, is, is a part of the intimacy with God that ultimately brings us to that place of hope.
1: Well, and the two of you have seen that transformative power of these biblical ideas of lament and hope working out in the lives of pastors who carry with them a great deal of brokenness. And that sort of led you to this new venture that the two of you are mm-hmm starting out into after a year of pastoral ministry, you've grown this heart, the Lord has built into you this heart of pastoring pastors and caring for pastors and their spouses. And so out of that is born this new venture called the House of Gladness. So could the two of you tell us a little bit about uh, where that came from and give us a picture of what that looks like? And finally, Sherry, um, how could those who are listening in Because you're going to have both pastors listening into this who might say, huh, maybe that's for me. Or you might have elders or deacons or congregation members listening in saying, huh, I wonder if that might be a gift to one of our pastors. So give us a little bit of sense of how the Lord has led you into this new ministry called the House of Gladness and what it is.
3: It centers around the idea of three or four couples joining with us. We moved into a brand new house, and it sits right on a lake restful and peaceful and um, it just feels like such a gift that the Lord gave us that place for bringing restoration it, for me it constantly echoes Psalm 23 of being refreshed by the waters the still waters and that has been a big gift but our, our plan and our hope is to spend a week of sharing with our, our stories with each other And talking about what the Lord is doing in and through us and through our pain and through our joys. And then following that up with six months of continuing to follow this cohort who has joined us for this group. Part of it is really important for us to have this be a ministry of hospitality. Not a conference where you just go in here and then you go home and the conference manual goes on the shelf but something that goes on beyond just the setting of the conference time. Thomasville, Georgia, is a quaint town um, with lots of very interesting shops and places to just wander and talk, and um, it's just a very fun part of the South that's alive and well, we thought that that environment would be a helpful thing. We're in the process also of of looking into one of the old houses in town to house the people who come to house of gladness. So the one that um, has been totally redecorated is a Victorian house and with a bedroom and bath for um, for each room. And there's plenty of space in this house for, um, for people to be, to be there to have a place that's not just in the bedroom of our house, but a place where they can, as a couple, Continue the conversations that they need to be having during this week.
1: And I've preached at First Presbyterian of Thomasville Mm -hmm. and spent a little bit of time there. It's I think you've understated it that Thomasville is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. A couple were to wander out of a place like that and walk up the street to get a cup of coffee and have lots of places to kind of move in and out of. There would be lots of um, refreshing conversations to be had in a beautiful setting like that. And then if they can go over and sit on your back porch and continue that cohort conversation, what does it say about us, Sherry, that pastors and their spouses really need to connect with other pastors and spouses and, and develop and cultivate a sense of community with with others like that? Why, why is that so important?
3: I can say for myself personally, it's just like, we're now at this EPC church, and Beth and Tim Filston have been so warm to us and inviting us in to participate in life there. But part of our friendship with them is that we all get each other because we've all been in some of the same ministry kinds of, kinds of situations. And so for me, it's just like it's nice sometimes to be able to have a conversation with somebody who already gets it, and they don't have to be explained to. Now that doesn't mean that we can't have other friends, but we, in our board, the board for House of Gladness has two EPC, Beth Philston, and a stated clerk, Annie Rose, are both on our board of directors. And then we have the rest of the board are ACNA people. What a delight to just be together and listen to their perspectives and their counsel for us as well. So I don't know if that answered your question, yeah. Tina. Kind of when, yeah. when I no, thought. a
1: place where where people get it. Mm-hmm. Right? Place to be known. Place mm-hmm. to be understood. You know, you don't have to explain. You know, I got an anonymous letter, and you know, immediately we all go, oh, <laughs> <laughs> "Been there, been there, done that." Or, uh, "Oh, we're coming up on Holy Week." Okay, I get, I've get. i been trying to explain to people going into GA. People have been asking me, so how are you doing? And I've said uh, to pastors who've asked me that question, I said, well, imagine that Christmas happened on Tuesday of Holy Week. <laughs> 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 that's that's oh, what my week feels like. Um, and then they go, oh, I get that, I get that, right? So Jim is, um, is a bishop with a bishop's heart of caring for pastors. What would you, to the pastor who's listening in today, who um, is thinking, you know what, my schedule is really full. I don't know if I have space to join a cohort like this or to cultivate that kind of time. Um, and you've been at this for a few years now. What counsel would you give that person mm-hmm. who's got 100 really good objections sure. for why they should do something mm-hmm. like this?
2: Yeah, well, a couple of, of just analogies. You know, Stephen Covey in his book, you know, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. One of the disciplines that he talked about was sharpening the saw. My experience, both as a pastor, but then as a bishop watching pastors, is that the pastors that say to me, "I'm too busy. Um, I've got so much to do," are most likely trying to cut down trees with a dull saw. You can do that if you want to, um, until you just, you know. Fall exhausted before the tree that refuses to be cut down, Um, or it's like it's like trying to run your car, you know, for one hundred and seventy-five thousand miles on the same oil change. You can try to do that, you know, but at some point you're replacing the engine, you know, instead of taking time to do the oil change. And with forty percent or thirty-eight percent of pastors thinking of of giving up the ministry, um, and the number of pastors that we've heard about recently that, you know, whose moral lives are in shambles. Um, It's like you're going to pay the cost at some point. And so you can either take a week out of your life, you know, and sharpen the saw, or you can just try to do with a dull saw. It's your choice. You know, I I highly recommend, you know, taking time to sharpen the saw.
1: Spoken like a pastor to pastors, right? (laughs) Using both analogies and metaphors to try to give them uh, illustration with application built into it. So that's masterfully done. So thank you, Sherry. Same question to you, but if someone was listening, who is a member of a church, and they love their their pastor very much, and and she or he are, you know, they can see the wear and tear on them, or at least they're concerned. Mm. How would you counsel them to come alongside of a pastor to encourage them to consider becoming a part of something like the House of Gladness, or to get some kind of pastoral care for their pastor? How would you encourage a congregation member to come to a their pastor and love them in that way.
3: Mm. That's a, a beautiful way of putting it. Loving them in that way. Probably what I would say would be that mentioning that they care about them and that they're going to offer a suggestion that that is, you know, requires a little bit of of chutzpah on their part to yeah. be able to um, to say that.
1: So they probably have to have some. Kind relationship, of relationship standing, right? right? Otherwise it looks maybe passive aggressive or it looks like a left, right. you, know, a, a, you know, a compliment, but not really. And, you know, so they've got to have some relational level of trust there to be able to do that.
3: Yeah, definitely relational capital at yeah. work already that previous to a conversation like this, they've done life together and they've built that kind of, of bond
1: so maybe not the random person in the pew, but the person who, if they're a random person in the pew, they might go to that other member of the church who knows that the pastor feels safe with them and trusted with them and say, what would you think about something like this? Because it needs to come from the voice of someone the pastor knows really cares for them.
3: Right, right. And there's tangible things that they can do. It, um, it costs some money to come to a house of gladness. Right. And it may be that that person who's been connected with them has some funds. That they could share, share with them in order to enable people to come more freely than they would have been otherwise.
2: Yeah. I I would add anticipating the objections, the ones you said, you know, I I don't have the money, you know, like you were saying, share, or I don't have the time. Being able to, to kind of anticipate those objections and and say, look, we've already I've already talked to some folks. Money's not a problem, you know, and we can find somebody to to cover for you for those Sunday you'll be gone or you know or whatever. So. Anticipating some of those kinds of excuses that that we pastors sometimes make to yeah. you know, justify inaction,
1: yeah. or they could borrow the all saw in the tree analogy, <laughs> which is a good one. It's a very good one. In fact, our, our it's getting ahead of ourselves, but next year's theme at our General Assembly, which will be at Cherry Hills Church in Denver, mm. Colorado, is called Sharpen. And it's this idea of Ephesians 4, and kind of whether it's Proverbs 17, the iron sharpening iron kind of thing, or whether it's Ephesians 4, and this idea of equipping the church, this idea of sharpening ourselves for what comes next and serving, the idea of being with other couples, with other people who get it, with other pastors who get it in that kind of environment is, I, I think we think of sharpening ourselves as going to a conference on a preaching or on you know the, the latest kind of tactic uh, or strategy, but to think about sharpening in terms of life-on-life uh, relationships where people get you and know you and understand you, I think that we have to maybe cause people to see that sharpening a little differently. Yeah,
2: and I think setting aside the idolatry of expertise that if I if if I just get a little bit better at what I'm doing, as opposed to you know more like Eugene Peterson's thing of, this is soul work you know and mm-hmm. and you're inviting people into a relationship with Jesus and if it, yours is you know not flourishing, um, it doesn't matter how good of a preacher you are, people aren't going to be drawn to what you're you know what you're preaching because it's not true in your life.
3: As our time comes to a close, I just wanted to mention to make sure that any pastor spouses that are out there this isn't just for the pastors this is for you as a couple to get away to have some time to reflect but then also to be away with other people who might be experiencing something to you and i can't tell you how much my heart um, just is so filled that the lord has entrusted us with this ministry idea this plan and how we look forward to it coming to fruition in the days ahead.
1: And I'm not sure if you two knew this or not, but Dr. Tara Gunther, who was on our retreats as the clinical Christian psychologist who served those retreats, Mm -hmm. is actually starting an online cohort for pastor spouses uh, to begin to do some of that work. Uh, that started in the retreat to kind of keep that going. So I think paying attention to the spouses is, is, I think we learned at those retreats, that's much more substantial than what maybe we had fully appreciated. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Could also be the way in. So you can... If, if you want your pastor to go, <laughs> you, might, right. you might mention to, to your pastor's spouse, oh, by the way, did you know that there's this uh, right, retreat thing right. Right, for you and your council?
1: <laughs> well, uh, last thing would be how do people get in touch with the two of you? Yeah. How would they connect with the House of Gladness if they wanted to explore this a little further? Do you have any contact for that?
2: Yeah, uh, best way to do it is, is our website, houseofgladness.com.
1: Okay. Yeah, all one word that's straightforward enough so that's jim and sherry hobby house of gladness.com for those of you who are listening whether pastors or spouses who are curious or if you're a congregation member and you want to love on your pastor as well please go to that website check out the opportunity there and see if that's not something that perhaps the lord might be calling you to to help you um, uh, stay sharp in your ministry and in your marriage so thank you both for being here today on in all things it's been a delight it's great Our to be pleasure. here. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, my friends, we're going to finish out this time, as we always do, with that good word from God's word as a reminder of his sovereignty over all things. You see, the sun is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. And sometimes you have to sit beside a lake Uh, to be reminded that he's created all things, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You see, he is before all things, my friends. And in him, all things hold together. For he is the head of the body of the church, that is our Lord jesus christ and it's in his name until the next time when we gather grace and peace to you
0: thank you again for joining us on behalf of dean and the entire team we hope you will join us for our next episode of in all things for more information about the evangelical presbyterian church including a directory of local churches online resources and much more visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.